Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Mitch Rupert in a moment. First, our play by play call of the day a grand slam for the Brewers. Here's the pitch. High fly, deep left. Did he get it? LaCastro back at the track. It's gone. A grand slam for Tyler Saladino, and we are tied. His biggest hit of the year comes in the desert. Back-to-back games with a grand slam for Tyler Saladino. The last to do that was Jorge Posada with the Yankees on June 12th and 13th in 2010. Did ever, ever tell you the story about Don? The one year Don Mattingly, I want to say, hit eight grand slams. And Phil Rizzuto and Bill White are doing the game. They're playing in Seattle. And Rizzuto, bases are loaded. Mattingly comes to the plate. And, Matt, and Rizzuto is like, oh, White. He always called Bill White White. White, look, look, White. He says, it's Mattingly with the base load. The first pitch, he pops it up in foul territory. And Phil, on the air, drops the Lord's name in vain. That moment he lost his money store endorsement. So. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, was Phil Rizzuto. He was fine. That's why I was love on, on, his, on his card. One day, Bill White looks over his card. And he's looking, he's, you know, he sees base hit, walk, strike out, and then he sees WW. He says, what the heck is this? He says, let me ask him, what does WW mean? He says, ah, I wasn't watching. <laughs> wasn't watching. Always watching. And one of the really, A, great guys out there, let alone being a terrific writer, is Mitch Rupert. Always great to catch up with him. Always great to see you. Mitch, good to see you. Yeah, last couple of days, great to talk with you now. Hey, likewise, Steve. Thanks for having me. I love hearing the Phil Rizzuto story from you because I weep for anybody who never heard Scooter call a game. Uh, and, and that whole generation, Ernie Hartwell up in Detroit. Um, yes. You know, Bob Uecker still calling games in Milwaukee. And that, that's why I thought of Bob when you had that play-by-play call on. They're, those old school guys that from 15, 20 years ago, Bob still calling games. They are just different. And, and I loved listening to those guys. Oh, yeah, same here. I would sit at home, uh, Mitch, in uh, Connecticut. And at night, and this is really, I loved broadcasting. And I could get the Cardinals with Jack Buck on KMOX. You know, these 50,000-watt signals. I could get Bill O'Donnell and Chuck Thompson on the Orioles. I could get Harry Callis on the Phillies. I could get Bob Prince on KDKA with the Pirates. Obviously, the Red Sox, Yankees, and Mets games. I could hear Ernie Harwell sometimes and Marty Brenneman on WLW in Cincinnati. I could flip around at night and hear these guys, and they were the classics. I mean, they're the ones that, that taught real radio people how to do a game. 
what else do you need? If you're, if you're listening to those guys, what else do you need in a broadcaster? I mean, they, they gave you everything that you ever needed, and they such, had such a way with words, and, and it's so different now, I, I think. Um, I don't know why, but I don't know that broadcasters are revered as much, and we expect them to be homers and, and all this other stuff, but those guys had a way, because it was on radio, of, of painting a picture of what was going on with their words. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with that. Uh, all of those broadcasters we just talked about, I think, would have appreciated on a start-in and start-out basis, Mike Mussina, who went into the Baseball Hall of Fame this week. Out of Montoursville, you obviously had an opportunity to be around him. What strikes you about Mike Mussina today, now that he's a Hall of Famer, that maybe it didn't strike you about him before? My, my favorite thing to tell people is there's there's kind of two different versions of Mike Mussina, and I got to see... Uh, the, the version I've never seen before this weekend. There, there's one version of Mike who is the guy who lives in Montoursville now who um, uh, avoids any kind of publicity as, as much as he can and, and just wants to be a dad, wants to be the baseball coach, the basketball coach, the golf coach. He coached Little League when his kids were young enough and, and, and just wants to be that, be the husband and be the guy he wasn't for the year, the, the end of his career. And he's just dove headfirst into that life. And the version of Mike Mussina I got to see this weekend was Major League pitcher Mike Mussina because the the pre-induction press conference on Saturday, it was me and most of the New York media landscape there. And he had a way of, of just turning it on and commanding the audience and and just owning the moment with everybody who wanted to dissect every part of his career in 25 minutes. And that was, I didn't, I've never seen Major League Mike like I saw it this weekend. And, and I think it's, it's difficult to tell people that there, I think there are two different sides to Mike because you only see the quiet and the reserve side now. Um, and, and I don't think most people got to see that part of Mike. In seeing that part of Mike, what were some of the points that he emphasized in that point of his life that brought out his personality? I, I think the the thing he wanted to prop up the whole weekend, and he tried to get to it as much as he could, especially in his speech on Sunday, was this wasn't about him. You know, he his is the name on the plaque that, that goes into the plaque gallery at the National Baseball Hall of Fame, but there were so many more people involved that allowed him to get to this point. And he spent the whole weekend trying to make sure, I believe, that all of those people were recognized from, from Carter Giles, who was the Montoursville baseball coach in the late eighties. And, and the, the field, the high school field is named after uh, Carter Giles. I mean, the, uh, to, to, uh, his coaches at Stanford and, and how he said he almost didn't go to Stanford because his first impression of, of the coaches wasn't all that great um, to, to the players that he played with and a guy like Mariano Rivera and Lee Smith who helped close out games. He wanted to make sure that it was understood he didn't get there on his own. And there were so many people, his mother and his father, Malcolm and Ellie, his brother Mark, who played all the wiffle ball games with him. So many people made this all possible, and it was not just him. 
What kind of appreciation for his roots? You mentioned his brother, his mother and father. What appreciation for his roots, not just family, but also what Montoursville means? Well, I think because he's always lived here, um, even when he was playing in New York and Baltimore, he came back to Montoursville during the offseason because he's just not a big city guy. Um, I think he appreciates how difficult it is to get from Montoursville just to professional baseball, let alone the major leagues, let alone the major leagues for 18 years, let alone the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So he appreciates the village it took to help him get to every step along the way. And and, and I think that's why he, he brought up Montoursville so much in his speech on Sunday and, and how, how important the community was to him uh, in his entire career. All right. Obviously, in a perfect world, way back when, Mike Mussina would have been a Baltimore Oriole his entire life, in a perfect world. In the era of free agency and deals, that doesn't happen as often today. It it just doesn't. So now, what about how did he view his Orioles' time? How did he view his Yankees' time? I I think he views them as, obviously, the, the two separate... Uh, stages of, of his baseball life in that Baltimore was the, the team that gave him the opportunity to play professional baseball, gave him the opportunity uh, to see if he could prove himself and stick at the major leagues, and gave him the opportunity to prove what he was capable of. And then beyond that, the New York Yankees were the team that gave him the opportunity to continue his career. And, and you know, any, any team out there who could have afforded him would have given that opportunity. It just happened sure. to be the Yankees uh, because of the impression Joe Torre made calling him two days after they won the 2000 World Series and saying, hey, uh, you know, we'd like you to consider playing for the Yankees. And, and, and so I think he's appreciative of the fact that there were two distinct stages to his life uh, in base, and those organizations gave him opportunities to be what he eventually was. Uh, along the way, before Mike Buscina, he did have, you know, like any player, he can't go through any career and not have some frustrations at all. Was any of that ever touched upon, or did he keep it completely positive? No, I, I think he's realistic about um his career and, and that it, it wasn't always easy. You know, he won 20 games in his final year, but he spent a lot of time while everybody wanted to talk about that rosy finish and, and, and to his career, he wanted to talk about the year before where he struggled and, and he just had nagging injuries and, and he wasn't sure how much longer, you know, he could do all of this and, and, and keep playing the game. But, uh, you know, he, he understood that, to appreciate the good times, you know, you have to understand there were bad times with it as well. Well, it's interesting because if you talk with incredibly successful coaches, and I've I've been fortunate over the years with the people I've had a chance to interview. It's not just Joe, but I mean, a lot of them. They remember the losses more than the wins. You're absolutely right. And, 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 And Mike was like that Saturday during his press conference. Everybody wants to wax poetically about what he did. I mean, because that's going into the Hall of Fame, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating 270 wins. We're celebrating um, five All-Star games, seven gold gloves, and all that. But but he wanted to make sure that 
I don't like, he, would, he even said, I don't like to reflect as much as people think I do because I think more about the times where I could have done something different so I didn't get beat up in a game. I think about how Frank Thomas uh, owned me for the first part of my career. You know, those are the things that he seems to think about. And, and I think that goes with any competitor, any high-level athlete, because you learn more from those situations than you do from the times where you're dominant. It was not a first ballot for Mike Messinen. It should have been. And I'd never have figured out why somebody is waits longer than somebody else. You're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Did Mike reflect at all on the weight, and is there a greater appreciation because there was a weight? I think he understood kind of his his spot in the pecking order of uh, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame selection process. Because voters are limited to only 10 votes per ballot, which I think is something they need to get rid of, because like, like you said, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Um, I think he understood that there were guys who were going to get in before him, and he was willing to wait his time. He was surprised even that he got in on this, what was his sixth ballot. Um, yes. He didn't expect it. He said he was following like the, the public voting uh, that, that's out there every year, and, and usually that drops by about 10% when you get all the votes that aren't public. And he didn't think he was going to get in this year, but he, he snuck in, I think, 76.7% is what he got this year. And I think he was appreciative of the fact that it happened as, as quickly as it did. And, and we sit here and say it took too long. I think he's appreciative that it, it happened as quickly as he did. And, and he was very thankful that he got even 5% that first year, because I want to say that was the year where, I don't know, five or six guys went in that are legit first ballot kind of guys and, and he got 20% and he's like I appreciate guys that kept me on the ballot he won 270 games with a good portion of those wins coming during the steroid era did he reflect on that part at all because that is a part of baseball right now that's at the moment kept Bonds out kept Clemens out and Mike Messina still won 270 games I think he kind of avoids that that uh that conversation like the plague um you know i, I, I don't I, and i don't blame him i don't blame neither him do because, i neither yeah, do i, I mean, and, I, and I, he, I would not i would not deal with it either because you know what that's their issue and he had to do what he had to do right and he reflected more on pitching in the american league for american league east for his entire career in yeah. a time when uh even when he was with the yankees the orioles were still good when he was with the orioles the yankees red sox even dealing with the blue jays some they they were still good and and he's if somebody asked him from the New York Post asked him about playing his entire career in the American League East and he goes once I signed with the Yankees I didn't really have a choice you know he right. goes that just happened to be I wanted to stay on the East Coast uh, this is where I was if I wanted to pitch it was probably going to be in the American League East so he said I attacked what I could I did what I could and it just so happened that it, it turned out he's a pretty good pitcher well uh, two hundred seventy wins. Let's take the American League East out of it for a moment. 270 wins just pitching in the American League. No offense to National League pitchers, but you're facing nine legitimate hitters in the lineup every single night. It is yeah, a different proposition. He talked about that, too. He said you're in, in the National League, you're, you're facing a pitcher who's going to be at the plate twice, and he's probably going to bunt both times. In the American League, you're facing a ninth guy who's going to hit 260 with 25 homers and 75 RBIs. It's 
it's completely different. Um, but the, I think we forget because, and, and I talked to some fans about this on, on Sunday, he wasn't the flashy guy. You know, he didn't have Randy Johnson's fastball. He didn't have the movement on his pitches like a guy like Greg Maddox did. He wasn't the wow factor like Pedro Martinez was. He was a quiet guy who liked to keep to himself. And because he wasn't flashy, I don't think he was ever thought of in that, that upper echelon. But every time he stood on the mound, he proved he was in that upper echelon. See, this is there's there's a litmus test I give you. I, I think everyone knows I grew up in New England, so I'm a lifelong Red Sox fan. To me, when you're sitting there as a fan of another team and you go, oh, jeez, they got me seen it tonight. Or, oh, geez, they've got, you know, fill in name. That tells you right away you think the dude is really, really good. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, you, oh, you go back to it. Before he was inducted Sunday, they played a video in Cooperstown. I don't know if they did it on MLB Network, too, but it was Joe Torre talking about Mike and his contributions and and in whatever year I can't remember what year it was they were down two games to none to Oakland they were going out to Oakland for game three and Joe's like I I picked handpicked Mike Mussina to start that game because I knew we were going to be in good hands in that game and that's the game that's remembered for the Derek Jeter foot play to get right. Jeremy Giambi at the plate but Mike went out and threw seven innings of shutout ball or one run ball that night and gave them the opportunity to win that game. Mike was a big game pitcher if there ever was a big game pitcher. But because I don't think it ever ended, it never ended with a World Series ring, we don't think of him. Some of his best moments in the postseason were overshadowed by other moments. Game 3, 97 ALCS, he strikes out 15 batters yeah. against the Indians and he loses to Oral Hershiser 2-1. to one. Right. You know, it's, it's things like that, that we don't remember because they're overshadowed by something else. Right. It, obviously, especially with Mariano Rivera being the first unanimous, how interesting was it to see how New York reacted to the entire deal because of the Rivera factor in combination with Mike? I think um, be, because Yankee fans love to talk about how great the organization has been uh, for the entirety of its, you know, its, its 28 World Series championships and things like that, they were hanging on to Mo's unanimous selection like they would another World Series ring. You know, it, it's another badge of honor uh, for them to talk about. You know, only unanimous unanimous guy ever voted in to the Hall of Fame, which is ridiculous to begin with that it took of this course. long for a unanimous guy. Um, <laughs> right. but, but I think it matters to them. I don't know how much it matters to the rest of baseball, but to Yankees fans, I think it matters. I think it does too. Mitch, great to see you. Appreciate it always. Always love catching up with you, whether in person or on the phone. Can't wait to see you again, Steve. Thanks for the time. Same here, my friend. Mitch Rupert, outstanding writer. Williamsport uh, Gazette. Great job. And uh, Williamsport area sports fans are very fortunate to have Mitch Rupert covering their teams. We will come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by our good friends. At Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. great article on the fight between the Red Sox and the Yankees in 2004, which happened 15 years ago. I believe it was today. Today or tomorrow. And I was watching this game at the time. I mean, the Red Sox were struggling. It's 2004, you know, the year before Aaron Boone had hit the home run. I gotta, I'm going to give you the coming back, the greatest line that actually kick the entire fight off after Alex Rodriguez got hit by a pitch. And you're going to love this line. I mean, it is a classic. And when you hear it, (laughs) you're going to, I think you're going to get a laugh out of it too. But it was the line that Jason Veritek said to A-Rod that kicked the whole fight off. (laughs) All right. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Oh, we're going to do some fun facts in this half hour. Uh, some with TV ratings. We already did something with attendance. That the value of franchises is back, by the way, from Forbes. That's right. We read Forbes. We read the Wall Street Journal. Actually get some pretty good stuff out of it. Yeah. Who do you think we are? We got some balance in our lives here. Absolutely. Sure. Well, I remember that Biffer used to read National Lampoon. <laughs> uh, so I was more of a Mad Magazine guy. Yeah. I'm bummed that that's going away. <laughs> the Biffer. Uh, okay, today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. What jump-started the Red Sox in 2004 was a fight with the Yankees that took place 15 years ago. And since that point, the Red Sox have won four World Series championships. The fight occurred when Alex Rodriguez was hit by a pitch by Bronson Arroyo. Uh, And Jason Veritek says... The Yankees were pounding the ball pretty well, and Bronson Arroyo is a very good breaking ball pitcher, and at the moment, good hitters, you have to pitch in. Well, he runs the count 3-0 on A-Rod, 
and he hits A-Rod with an 87-mile-per-hour fastball inside. Bruce Freming was the home plate umpire. His quote was, he threw an inside pitch to A-Rod, and as a matter of fact, it really was a nothing pitch, but it was just inside and it hit him. And Veritek says, no, it wasn't intentional. He took discord to it, though, and started yelling at Bronson Arroyo. Arroyo says, I was just kind of walking toward the umpire, trying to ignore it, just get a baseball and continue playing, because that was just my style. A-Rod says that Arroyo was a good guy, but the thing is, I don't remember what led up to it. He says, but I thought they were pitching me in too much. Arroyo says, I remember him mouthing at me, throw that blank over the effing plate. <laughs> he said that to me twice. That's when Veritech gets in his face, and Veritech says, hey, dude, we don't hit 260 hitters. <laughs> And at that point, A-Rod flipped, and then Veritek took his glove and shoved it in his face. Hey, dude, we don't hit 260 hitters. (laughs) Well, then it goes crazy after that. And it was more like a hockey fight. So, finally, this fight breaks up. The Red Sox are losing 3 nothing. Gabe Kapler, by the way, the Phillies manager, was a part of this team. Uh, he says, I remember being pulled out from the middle of the pile by Tanyan Sturtz and not knowing who it was at the time, but kind of hearing something like, calm down, Gabe, calm down, relax, Gabe, or something like that. <laughs> it was, I mean, this was a hockey fight. I mean, they're, like, going after each other. Bruce Fleming, the umpire, is like, uh, ah, <laughs> I'm not a hockey linesman, so I don't know. I mean, but they were going at it pretty good. Ortiz is in there throwing. Trot, Nixon tackles a guy. Right? It, was, it was a wild deal. I mean, they were all over each other. This game ends up going extra innings. And in going extra innings, they were able to win the game on a home run off Mariano Rivera. You're like, Mariano Rivera? And the guy that hit it was Bill Miller. Bill Miller was one of those guys who was a really good Major League player, a good Major League hitter. He won a batting title once. Right? And Miller hit it into the Red Sox bullpen. Now, that's better than 380 feet. Now let's fast forward to October when the Red Sox are down three games to none to the Yankees. Everyone remembers Dave Roberts stole the base. How did he get in, Sean? Bill Miller got a base hit up the middle off Mariano Rivera. He was the one that, for whatever reason, and, he, and, he, and like Jason Veritek once said, he says, hey, look, don't say that we have Mariano's number. He says, nobody has Mariano's number. Nobody. 
But for some reason, Bill Miller, a good professional hitter, and that's what Bill Miller was, a good professional hitter. A lot of major leaguers would like to have had the career Bill Miller had. You know, good third baseman. But he hit the home run to win the game 11-10 for the Red Sox. It jump-started the second half of the season. They end up being the wild-card team. And then it's Miller, whose base hit off of Mariano Rivera, tied the game up in the ninth inning when the Red Sox were on the verge of being eliminated to score Dave Roberts. And then, of course, we know what the rest is history. But that was the great line. We don't hit 260 hitters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what really touched it off. All right, so now let's get to... Let's talk about TV rate. I talked about attendance earlier. Who's really dropped in attendance? Okay, now... Let's see. Let's get to... TV ratings. Believe it or not, the TV ratings. I'll give you one. A team that doesn't draw is not drawing. You were at the game on Sunday. How well did the Pirates draw for a Sunday afternoon game? Uh, they announced the attendance uh, just a little over 24,000. And how many do you think were actually there? Less than 20. Okay. For sure. Yeah, I think they're averaging around 18, I want to say. I think I think last exactly night's number. game, they had less than 15,000. Right. And a lot of them were Cardinal fans. Uh, you should because I could hear the chants in the background. And yeah, but how about the Buckos last night? They almost came back to tie that. Uh, no, I know. No, that's the only inning I saw because I had a spikes game last yeah. night playing the Cutters last night, so I didn't get a chance to see any of the game. But I saw that. Well, and Goldschmidt hit the granny uh, into the Allegheny. I forgot. Forget it. It's over. Then we flipped right, it back exactly. on six five. Whoa! Hold on here. Well, I know Mike did what, something. Well, I, okay, I shouldn't be that informal. I mean, Mike Schultz, the manager. I, I know Mike because he was the third base coach here for the Spikes. Okay. Now, here are the TV ratings. Okay. Um, let's see. The top five increase in. TV ratings for local networks for baseball. Believe it or not, the San Diego Padres are up 81%. The Twins are having a great year. Beat the Yankees last night. 8-6 turned to triple play, too. They're up 41%. The White Sox are up 41%, Sean. The Reds are up 31%. And the Colorado Rockies are up 24%. Now let's flip it to the other way. These are the ones that have gone dramatically down. The Angels are down 18% from last year in their TV rating. The Mariners are down 25%. This one is going to shock you completely. Guess who's down 26% in TV ratings? The Yankees. The Yankees are having a thoroughly phenomenal year. I mean, a great year, not a good year. The Yankees are there, an exciting, fun team to watch. Their TV ratings are down 26%. San Francisco Giants are down 31%, and the Texas Rangers are down 31%. So let's go through team by team here. Arizona's down 16% from last year. These are the TV ratings. The Braves are up 6%. The Orioles are down 3%. 
The Red Sox, now here are the defending world champions. I mean, last year they won 119 games. All right? Their ratings are down 14% from last year. The Cubs are down 5%. The White Sox are up 41. The Reds are up 31. The Indians are down 8%. Colorado's up 24%. Phillies play the Tigers tonight. Tigers ratings are down 7% from last year. The Astros are up 13%. Now, again, under the category of inexplicable, the Kansas City Royals, Sean, are up 4% in their TV ratings. It's good to see, by the way, Royal Scout and old friend Jim Farr here last night. Jim and I went to school together here at Penn State. He pitched in the majors, had a 2.50 ERA in the majors. Angels, we mentioned, down 18%. The Dodgers are up only 2%. Their average rating is 1.71. They're up 2%. The Marlins are not even getting a 1 rating. They're 0.87. They're down 13%. The Brewers having a really good year, up 23%. The Twins up 41%. The Mets are down 12%. The Yankees are down 26%. The A's are even where they were last year. The Phillies... Average local rating is 4.19. They're up 20% from last year. So the Phillies are up. Here's another one. The Pirates. Their average rating is 5.38. The Pirates are actually up 15% from last year. Usually Pittsburgh has a really good sports TV rating. Hockey is always one of the top two or three, along with Buffalo, every year. Padres up 81%, Giants down 31%, M's down 25%, Cardinals are down 8%. Great baseball market, down 8%. Tampa Bay, actually up 23% in their TV ratings. Rangers down 31%, and the Nationals are down 16% in their TV ratings. Overall, baseball local TV ratings are down 4% from last year. That's according to Sports Business Journal. And it's the larger markets that have been hurting them. And again, there's the the influence, obviously, of in Philadelphia of acquiring a Bryce Harper. It, it does pay dividends. You were going to say? Yeah, I was thinking of the 81% increase in San Diego. I mean, a big chunk of that would be for Manny Machado. Oh, no question. They, they gave their fans hope. See, that's what you have to do. Can you give your fan base hope that you are trying? Are you trying? See, that's that's the issue in Pittsburgh. I think they have some good young players, but they don't give the fan base the impression. See what I mean? It's It's all about perception. Does the fan base perceive that you are trying? Right? And that's where the, where the carryover happens. All right, now let's get to most valuable teams. We do this for you every year. The most valuable team in sports happens to be... Dun-dun-dun... Go ahead, make a guess. So this is the Forbes list? Yep. Okay. So we're talking any, Kurt, the, any of the professionals. Yes, by the way, Kurt Badenhausen, who's been on our show before, who's terrific, he wrote this article. Okay. Well, we'll get back in touch with him, get him back on the show. Yep. Yeah, it's been yep. a while. 
Uh, let's see. So out of the, all of the American pro fans, or, or is it worldwide? Worldwide. Worldwide? Okay. So I'm thinking either it's either Real Madrid or Barcelona for, for soccer. Dallas uh, Cowboys. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys. That was Dal- the top Dallas man. is number one. Teams with a value of more than $2 billion or more. In the year 2012, there was one. 2013, five. 2014, six with a value of $2 billion or better. In 2015, 15. In 2015, 15. 2016, 24. 17, 39. 18, 48. And in 2019, there are 50 franchises worth $2 billion or more. 50, the Saints, $2.8 billion. Now, I'm not going to go through all the numbers here. We'll just do this quickly. Jacksonville is 49. For all this, though, what's going on with Jacksonville? Should he go to London? They're the 48th they're the most valuable franchise in the world. Kansas City Chiefs, St. Louis Baseball Cardinals tied for 47. Arizona Cardinals, 46. Liverpool is 45. 2.18 billion, up 12% from last year. Clippers, 44. Mavericks, 43. Arsenal, 42. Up 1%. Whoops. That's when you have to learn how to operate the computer better, Steve. Chargers are 41. The Mets, up 10% from last year. Tied for 38th with the Carolina Panthers. Panthers are valued at $2.3 billion. I think Tepper paid cash. Uh, the Rockets, 38th. Nets, 37. The Indianapolis Colts, 36. The Vikings are 35. The Raiders are 34. They're up 2% from the year before. They were at $2.42 billion. Dolphins, 33. Chelsea, 32. Seahawks, 31. The Steelers are worth $2.585 billion, up 5% from last year. They're 30th. The Ravens are more valuable than the Steelers. Oh, that will make you bristle. Yeah. <laughs> $2.59 billion, up 4%. Eh, not by much. Ooh. Falcons are 28. Packers are 27. Broncos, 26. Man City, 25. The Eagles are worth $2.75 billion, up 4% from last year. They're 24th. Tie for 22 between the Boston Celtics and the Houston Texans. The Jets are 21. A tie for 19 between the Bears and the Bulls, both worth $2.9 billion. San Francisco Giants are 18. Byron Munich is 17. They're actually down 1% from last year. 49ers, no change in value, still at 16. The Cubs and the Redskins are tied for 14, each worth $3.1 billion. For Dan Snyder, there was no change in value. The, the uh, Bears actually went up in value. Excuse me, the Cubs went up in value seven percent. Uh, the Rams, three point two billion, tied with the Red Sox at three point two billion. The Rams were up seven percent. The Red Sox in value were up fourteen percent. The Dodgers are tied for tenth with the New York Giants at three point three billion. The Warriors are nine. The Lakers three point seven billion, up twelve percent. They're eighth. The New England Patriots. Up 3% at 3.8. Man U, 3.81. Down 8% in value. The Knicks, 
The New York Knicks, are you kidding me? Worth $4 billion, up 11% from the year before. Barcelona, number four. Actually down 1% at $4 billion. Real Madrid up 4%, 4.24 billion. Yankees are number 2 at 4.6 billion. Their value has risen 15%. And the Dallas Cowboys worth 5 billion dollars up 4%. Where you have to give Jerry Jones all the credit in the world is his ability to understand contracts, marketing, marketing and merchandise. He's had that ability over the years to have a really good gauge. That's why his Nike contract is not like the Nike contract everybody else has. He broke away from the group, did his own. He was allowed to, but he still did it. And he's reaping the benefits of it. That stadium, that's his money. He built it. Look, the guy has taken his own risks along the way. You may not like him. You may not like his style. You may not like him because he's the owner of the Cowboys. But as a businessman, i got to give him all the credit in the world. He has created a gold mine out of what was an incredibly valuable franchise to begin with, and he's taken it to the next level. I have to respect that. I went through here, not one of these franchises brags about digital media. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Well, just so you know, every team in New York State for baseball does God bless America. There's a reason for that, obviously, because of 9-11. Um, just turned out they used the Kate Smith version. For years, they used to bring out Robert Merrill. The late Robert Merrill. Great opera singer. Sang at the suit's wedding. It was great. No? I missed that. A lot of people did. Yeah. Including, including Robert Merrill. <laughs> the Danville, California instead. I was out there. I believe you and I conveniently made sure we were out of the country at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I had this golf trip set up for years. Got a game, yeah, right. uh, uh, Jack and I are going to Scotland. We're playing Muirfield. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe you. (laughs) All right, Tigers and Phillies tomorrow. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.